everybody, welcome to Canary Cry Radio. My name's Basil. And this is Gans. Welcome to episode number 131. I'm sure there's some sort of numerological significance of that, but, you know, that's not my specialty anymore. I seem to have lost my touch, but it, it's a good-looking number. That's true, yeah. It's uh, yeah. kind of got an even-uneven thing going. Symmetry. It's it's 131 forwards or backwards, yeah. Yeah, whoa, palindrome, there we go, we got it. Um, so, this week, we have got the Silver Guru, David Morgan. He is on the show, and, uh, you know, we've recently talked a lot about cryptocurrency. Many of you have heard the Bible Pay episode, the whole cryptocurrency craze going on in the world right now. So, we thought we would ground it a little bit more, bring it down to earth, even up out of the earth. And we are going to be talking about, first of all, fiat currency and the financial system, the upside down pyramid, the unstable structure that we all stand on uh, as far as the global economy is concerned. Uh, and, you know, they, they might be doing their best to try to instill confidence. But, you know, it's uh, we're going to hear how there may be ways and maybe ways you haven't thought of before to uh, consider your future in a time such as this. That's right. We talk a lot about things like gold and silver. Nothing new under the sun. That's right. There you go. And so uh, don't turn off the podcast. This is not your normal <laughs> gold and silver talk. That's right. This is still Canary Cry Radio. <laughs> things get a little nuts. Um, so I hope you all enjoy that. But before we get into it, I just want to thank everybody who has been leaving iTunes reviews. Uh, that really helps us out on the charts. I think we are back on the top 200 again. Uh, thanks to the people who leave ratings and reviews. It's all thanks to you. So thank you very much. And also, I want to remind everybody, we got the Facebook group, the group, not the page, facebook.com, search Canary Cry Community. That is an ever steadily growing community. There's over a thousand people, over 1,200 people now, I think, who are getting in there, getting in a conversation. It's, it's, uh, there's a little, a little bit of, uh, back and forth about the whole flat earth thing, but that, that fire has been put out. Don't worry. This isn't a place where you're going to get inundated with any sort of, um, I don't know, conspiracy stuff that you don't need flooding your feed. There's all sorts of fun stuff, a good balance. So head over to facebook.com slash Canary Cry Community and connect with other Canarians. It's really a beautiful thing. Also, just to remind everybody, I mentioned it in the show, our Patreon uh, campaign is steadily growing. And we're so excited about that, that people are seeing the value in the show and finally getting the chance to help out the show, add value to the show. I know we've had the PayPal program for quite a long time, but Patreon is great because it gives us direct access to deliver our uh, rewards, bonus stuff, more Canary Cry stuff than you could ever wish for. Yeah, we're over halfway to getting to 100 supporters. Our first goal. Yeah, our first goal. And, and you know, we gave away a letter last time. Since we're over halfway, why don't you give away another letter of the word, Basil, of the thing was, we're talking what about? What was the letter you gave? I didn't give it. You gave it last time. I, mean, I think it was the letter A last time. A. Okay, this time I will say S. S. That's right. S. Yeah. So, um, so there you go. We have a special, 
special episode that we've been wanting to do for a long time. <laughs> and so we have set the goal at 100 supporters. We will record this very special episode and make it available here on the feed. But, you know, there's stuff on there that I think you're going to want. Uh, I mentioned in the episode, bonus episodes, canary cry conversations. That's right. A lot of people are uh, concerned that Canary Cry Radio does not come out as often as they'd like. Well, if you want more Canary Cry, if you want more Basil and Gons in your ear holes over at Patreon.com, if you become a supporter at a certain level, there is bonus episodes delivered straight to your RSS feed. And um, it was real It was real good. Gons and I go on rants, basically. Either rants or we talk about movies and dissect them or Gons went to the Red Pill uh, Expo and gave a, a report from there. It's a good time. We're trying to put those out every week. So that's a fun thing. I think I think we start yelling at each other more. Yeah, we, which, which is fun. You, you get <laughs> it's, it's a, because I stop listening to to what you're saying uh-huh, for a little bit, yeah. and then and then I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And uh, it's a lot more raw. It's a lot more <laughs> raw of an experience. If you want uh, the raw, uncooked unrefined Basil and Gons just talking to each other as we do when we're not on the air. <laughs> the Canary Cry Conversations is a great way to look into that. Um, so anyways, that's enough of that. I think we're going to get into it here. Anything I'm forgetting, Gons? I don't think so. We got a Canary Cry News Talk. We also have... Did you mention Canary Cry News Talk? No, no, I didn't. So Canary Cry News Talk uh, is slowly growing. People are making the switch over to Canary Cry News Talk. Again, it comes out every single week. So if you're uh, sad that there's not more Canary Cry Radio, Canary Cry News Talk found on iTunes and hi doggy and all the other uh, platforms there. Subscribe to that. Listen to that. Because um, actually, you get a lot of good insights on what's going on week to week. And I'm finding more and more that we reference our talks on Canary Cry News Talk much more on this show, Canary Cry Radio. So if you want to get the full spectrum of what's going on in the Canarian culture, uh, go over, listen to that show. It's only 29 minutes a week. So it's not it's not going to overload you. It's just going to give you a nice taste of what's going on in the world from the perspectives of your favorite your favorite podcast boys, <laughs> Basil and Cons. Oh man, podcast boys. Oh, your boy. favorite podcast boys. Okay, you ready for this? I'm ready. Ready to start digging for some silver and gold. There you go. Let's uh, let's mine the depths of the earth, everybody. This is the Silver Guru, David Morgan. How did humanity come to accept rectangular pieces of pulped trees as something to spend 8 to 10 hours a day working for? The Spanish silver dollar had been the world's outstanding coin since the early 16th century. More important, however, was that the Spanish dollar, from the 16th to the 19th century, was relatively the most stable and least the base coin in the Western world. Constant complaints, both by contemporaries and by some later historians, arose about an alleged scarcity of money, allegedly justifying numerous colonial paper money schemes to remedy that shortage. In reality, there was no shortage. Are we headed into an economic crash of unprecedented proportions? And when the currency crisis happens, like we're seeing in Venezuela, like we're starting to see in Argentina, which will come to this entire globe because it's all built off the exact same Ponzi scheme, this global generational debt-based Ponzi scheme. 
And when you're dealing with that, you have to understand that in order to save real wealth, you need to take your wealth out of these digital illusions of wealth, your stocks, your bonds, your savings account, your brokerage, your 401k, your pensions, whatever, you know, even your dollars in your hands, their future promises on wealth, and put it into real tangible things. And that's the point of silver, to have real tangible wealth outside of the doomed generational debt and death paradigm, one in which must come. And when it does come, it will be the single largest event in human history, because this is the first time we have an entire globe on the exact same type of Ponzi scheme. Are U.S. Treasury bonds still safe to invest in? Very much so. This is not an issue of credit rating. The United States can pay any debt it has because we can always print money to do that. So there is zero probability of default. Reliable experts say a crash is coming. They also say that there are simple, inexpensive things anyone can do to protect their families, to keep food on the table and a roof over our heads, even in the worst of times. But to do that, we have to understand why the crash is coming, who's behind it, what they want, and how the perpetrators plan on protecting their families. Armed with this knowledge, any of us can ride out the coming storm. This is Canary Cry Radio. Listening to Canary Cry Radio. My name is Basil. And this is Gons. Welcome to episode number 131. Yeah. That's yep. uh there's something there. Some there's two ones and a three, and I'm sure there's some kind of numerological thing that could be added up to the number 42, which is the number of verses it takes in the word of God to get to the mention of gold. Uh Genesis 2:11. The name of the first is the Pishon or Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold. Equally early, but in more specific terms related to actual personal wealth, Genesis 13.2 is the first mention of silver where it says, Now Abram was very rich in livestock in silver and in gold. And it's beginning in Genesis 20 where silver is then mentioned as a value of exchange. And in Numbers 7.43, the leader of the Gadites offers a silver platter that weighs about three and a quarter pounds and a silver bowl that weighs about two pounds. So uh, according to the word of God, silver along with gold have always been uh, some kind of monetary value of exchange, but we're long removed from the days of presenting giant silver plates and bowls as an offering. While we still have physical silver bowls of that size today, we're trapped in this maze of fiat currencies and paper markets. And to help us navigate and understand how silver works in this modern world, we're lucky to have folks like the silver guru, David Morgan, who had the pleasure of meeting in person in uh, Spokane uh, a few weeks ago. David, welcome to Canary Cry Radio. Well, Basel and Gons, thank you very much for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to it. It's uh it's a platform I don't get very often. I've really wanted to get my message to, you know, to the millennials, to the younger people, if you will. And uh, gosh, when you reached out to me there at the Red Pill, I mean, uh, you didn't uh, have a blood pressure meter on me or anything, but uh, I was pretty excited to meet you. So thank you very much for inviting me back. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. We're glad to have you here. And I got to say, uh, in the past, we have touched on topics of money and, you know, we, we have a sort of a core a core contingent of uh, prepper types here who listen to the show, as well as just people who understand that the monetary system and the things that we're sort of enslaved to today are uh, are worthy of uh, questioning at the very least. And I know we have some silver folks who uh, keep me updated on where I can buy silver, especially with my cryptocurrency. But um, I, I, I still need some convincing, David, so I'm looking forward to that. Very good. <laughs> so first of all, I'm curious. Gon's got to talk to you for a while, so now I'm going <laughs> to sandbag him and take over this whole situation. Um, first of all, I want to know a little bit about you and your background, and uh, how exactly do you become the silver guru? Well, very good. I, you know, for people that have listened to my other interviews, I, I'll just say, you know, you get to hear it again. But I was 11 years old when the coinage changed from uh, silver to what I call the Johnson slugs. So up until 19 and through 1964, your quarters, half dollars, dimes were all 90% silver. So at that age, I was watering my dad's orchard and for doing, keep my room clean, doing whatever he told me to do and watering the orchard, I got 25 cents a week. And so we're pretty far out in the country. I didn't really have much opportunity to spend it. So I just started stacking silver, as the expression is now termed. And so one day I got this quarter that was cupro nickel. It was uh, copper in the center. I wasn't sure what the metals were, but I thought to myself, this doesn't add up. This can't be as valuable as the silver coins are. But none of the adults would be paying any attention to it. And it wasn't like, you know, I had this big uh, flash of light and I said, I'm the silver guru or anything close to it. But it did definitely, you know, cause me to think about it. So I started looking into money and banking and all that stuff at a very early age. It fascinated me. And once I discovered how fractional reserve banking actually works and that the credit system that we're under is basically you create the money when you sign a loan document for a car or a house or whatever, that I thought it was very, you know, basically unethical. So I had a very good background of self-study on the monetary system before like the eighth grade. So it's just something. And as far as did I, the silver guru, I mean, that's a something I don't take that seriously, although some people do. I mean, I've made a couple of calls in the markets and, you know, a couple of my speeches or, you know, a couple of the books or whatever. I mean, there's people out there that are, you know, I guess you could call my fan base that would definitely say, you are the silver guru. But as far as me <laughs> personally, I just use it as a moniker, pretty much tongue in cheek. I don't take it that seriously. Yeah. I've noted to be, you know, very serious about the silver market. But just to uh, adjunct to that, I rebranded the Morgan Report about four years ago. So my main website now is themorganreport.com. I did that because... The Morgan Report has always covered all of the resource sector, which means, you know, the energy metals, lithium, uh, copper, base metals, uh, rare earth elements, the battery metals, and anything in between. So uh, since we look at all of them, because there's opportunities uh, throughout that spectrum, you know, silver might be doing lousy, but our lithium investment is doing fantastic. 
or gold might be in the doldrums, but uh, molybdenum is doing fantastic. So, you know, we look at all the sector because, you know, if you're gold and silver centric, which is the main focus, but not the entirety, then uh, you're kind of missing a lot of the resource sector because all wealth either comes from the ground up, in other words, it's planted, or from the ground down, meaning it's dug out of the earth. So there's an expression here in the Northwest, I'm a member of the Northwest Mining Association and have been for decades, if it can't be grown, it has to be mined. And whether or not you consider yourself uh, to be very green or not, and actually I consider myself to be fairly green, believe it or not, we still wouldn't have the world we have without either growing stuff or mining stuff. I mean, to, to have the attitude that, oh, those miners, blah, 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 blah. And I will admit there is some really poor mining techniques still, although most of them have gone away that uh, if you're going to take that attitude, you're free to choose that, but think it through. You wouldn't have a bicycle, an iPhone, a computer. You wouldn't be able to play music or anything else. So mining is necessary. Uh, I'm very much in favor of doing it, you know, as good stewards, as we're told. Yeah. And yet I'm also objective enough to say you can't have a world without, you know, some mining. So, <laughs> so that's where I'm at. Well, that's, you know, that's interesting. And there's a few things in there, but I think the most important is, um, you know, especially talking to millennials like myself, who for a, a, for just a brief period of time, I'm still under 30. And, uh, you know, in this world of internet marketing and Facebook and uh, podcasts and Patreons and all sorts of things, you really do forget that when you get down and dirty, uh, mining or growing is kind of the basis of, uh, I mean, life on, <laughs> yeah, the human life on Earth, basically, at least as we know it. Um, so it's interesting throughout your story, you know, if you want a millennial's perspective. Um, it's, you mentioned things like Johnson slugs and stuff. And I have no idea what that is, but it sounds very <laughs> Americana and cool. <laughs> um, but, uh, but th that, that's very fascinating. And, you know, I've had a couple of people, you know, being in this space, we, you hear a lot about precious metals and things like that. And when you start, you know, getting a little older thinking you can, the invest your wealth in something you hear about commodities and resources but when you get down and dirty it's kind of i i still have no idea how to do any of that and so it sounds like i need to visit your website and learn me something <laughs> well i'd appreciate it and for everybody out there that's you know a millennial i have two i have two daughters one's going to be 25 next month and then my younger daughter's 22 uh, and they know, you know, more than the average person in that age group about, you know, mining and metals. But nonetheless, they certainly um, don't know. You know, they have a lot to learn, but they're not that interested in it, even though they grew up with it. Well, let me get right to the point. The best thing you can do is just go to themorganreport.com and get our free report. And in that report, the first thing that I teach is how to buy silver and gold and or gold on a monthly basis, which is the safest way to do it. And also, once you're in that program, you are immediately able to market uh, with no cost 
to your friends, family, or if you have a website or uh, an email list, you can market basically for free and uh, earn rewards in physical metal. So in other words, you could be buying and earning metal at the same time, which I think is a pretty cool thing because the way this company set up, and it's not multi-level marketing, let me make that very clear. So your efforts are based on, on uh, excuse me, your rewards are based on your own efforts. So for example, let's say that Basel decides, hey, this is pretty cool. I'm signing up. And whenever you buy silver, I would get a little bit of it. And it's a very small amount, but still, and that would be what a normal dealer would pay for advertising, except I advertise for the company. And now you have the right to take, uh, you know, the and they make this all for you, banner ads or buttons or whatever, or an email or whatever, and just send it out and tell, you know, folks that you care about, hey, I'm saving in silver now, and this is how you do it. And and so that's it. So in other words, once you're in, I only get that amount from your purchases. Nothing to do with anybody that you bring to the program whatsoever at all. So it's it's kind of cool. Uh, I like it. And again, to oversell it, the best way to to really build wealth is long term. There's very few get rich quick things that really work. And when they do, most of the time, the people give it back. You look at the, lot of the lottery winners, and most of the time, they have given back everything that they got within three to five years. So learn how to save, learn how to save in money, not in fiat, and uh, think you like it. And I give that out, that report out for free. Yeah, well, that's interesting. I, As you were speaking here, I said, well, I might as well. So I signed up. I'm on your list now. I'm going to look into that. Now, here's one thing. And this might be the the most simple-minded or ignorant question I could possibly think of. But now when we're talking about in you know investing or saving in just for instance silver or gold, I mean, are we literally buying the physical thing, get it sent to our house that we bury out in the yard? Or is this like some sort of futures thing? Or what is this exactly? No, I've been very consistent here, and I am glad to be so. Nope, it's physical, real metal that you can hold on your desktop, or if you care to put it in a beer can and bury it in your backyard, be my guest. Yeah, I mean, buried treasure is, is just a fun concept. So <laughs> You're making me laugh, but no, that's fine. <laughs> and just so people know, because you know, it's, there's a lot of assumptions in life, and communication's the key almost everywhere and always. So it's pretty obvious to me, but maybe not to the listener, that you know, if you buy a silver coin on, let's say, a weekly basis, which would be like a $20 bill or something, uh, you might expect that to be mailed to you every week. But the mailing costs are quite high relative to what the cost of the coin is. So there's a minimum, which is what's called a roll, which is 20 coins. So once you've accumulated 20 coins for, in this example, be 20 weeks, yes, indeed, that comes right to your front doorstep or your office or your P.O. box or wherever you want it mailed. So that is how it works. You get the physical metal, no leverage, no, you know, no games. You just buying the real thing and it's delivered to you on, uh, on a basis. And you could, not that I recommend this because I don't, but you could let, uh, let it accumulate, take it, you know, every six months, or you can let them, you know, hold it for you, which again, I don't recommend, but there's some cases where it might be 
um, required because let's say you're moving or you live in an apartment that's very small or you live in a very risky <laughs> area or whatever. I mean, there's the option that you have. You're to talking about people. this this company in particular that you work with. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's very interesting. I'm definitely going to look into that a little bit more because, uh, you know, having a little treasure chest in my bedroom sounds fun. Um, and, but more than the, the very millennial and hipster idea that I, I like the idea of having a tiny chest full of silver coins. <laughs> why, why exactly? I mean, we're all here privy to the fiat system and how, just bizarre and manipulative and fake it is. But um, why don't you give us your perspective on that? And uh, I mean, why even pay attention to this? Because I can't take the silver down and, and go buy myself an F-150. Right. Well, I'll boil it down to probably the most basic way that I possibly can. And that is that every fiat monetary system in all of recorded history has failed. So that's, that's actually very interesting. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a one liner, I think one or two lines and it's extremely important. And yet very few people are aware of it. And even some that are believe that it's different this time. It can happen to the dollar. Well, if you go to the, to the federal reserve's own website, which is a private banking consortium that prints the dollars using our treasury department with their name on it. It says federal reserve note. They buy them for printing costs, which is like, you know, five cents each, regardless of what the print value is, meaning a $1 bill costs a nickel, a $10 bill costs a nickel and a hundred dollar bill costs a nickel. They pay a nickel regardless if it's a one, five, 20, 50 or 100. Then they loan it to the United States government at face value plus interest. So it's not a bad game if you can get into it. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> can I start my own? This sounds like a great long-term business. Yeah, it's, it's, it's such. So back to the point, and I'm stressing it, obviously, that every time we've gone on to this unbacked system, there has been a monetary failure. And sometimes the um, repercussions have been extremely painful and at other times they've been kind of a blip because of the given circumstances. We could examine that more if you want, but the basic bottom line is I can't guarantee anything in the financial industry at all. Yet yeah. I can almost guarantee that every, I can guarantee every currency up until the dollar has failed. So to think the dollar won't tell me why, because again, back to the federal reserve, they'll admit that the 1913 dollar that they started just 105 years later is now worth about three cents. So there's, we've lost 97% of the value, but most people in the millennial age group and a lot of boomers just don't think about it. They don't even know it's lost that much value in, that, in 100 years. And all they really think is that what they're told on the mainstream press, which is, well, inflation is necessary or it happens as long as it's low, it's okay. And as long as they're making more quote unquote dollars per year or dollars every five years, I'm going to be okay. I'm, I'm beating inflation. And in most cases, they are not. The truth of the matter is, that from 1978 until now, in real purchasing power, all, all Americans 
that are at the quote-unquote average wage have gone down in in their lifestyle. In other words, their purchasing power has gone down from 1978 in real terms, which, to clarify, because sometimes I assume too much, means you might have been making, make up a number, 20000 in 1978. You might be making... And, so, and you have to check my numbers, but you may be making four or five times that much now, but in real purchasing power, you've lost purchasing power. And this is the insidiousness of the fiat system and the encroachment of a little inflation over time. Yeah. Now, you know, I find it fascinating that you say, uh, as I mentioned, that, uh, you know, all other fiat currencies have um, failed. I mean, when I think of that concept, I think of uh, maybe like a, a whatever the Roman uh, currency was, where it was coins printed in gold and silver or something, and maybe the the uh, well, I guess that wouldn't be a fiat currency. What give us give me give us an example of a fiat currency that would have failed? I'll just interrupt you for a moment, um, please. By the way. Uh, my mind works a little bit in, in, in a tangential form, but uh, if you go to the website, themorningreport.com, and you look at the about me, and it's not about me, but on that page, or it says about, it doesn't say me, on the about page, there is a film for free that you can watch probably on the weekend pretty easily called The Four Horsemen. And in that Four Horsemen, I'm in it, but there's some really good thinkers in there. And I talk about the denarius. So coming back to what you said, in the Roman Empire, they started off as a republic, the Senate really did represent the people, and things were kind of on the up and up and doing quite well, and they prospered. As time went on, the state could not buy everything that they wanted for free for everybody, so they started to debase the currency, which at the time the currency was physical metal, gold, and silver. So they rounded it all up uh, under threat, and then they added dross or base metal to it. So if you have the denarius... At the beginning, it was almost pure silver, and at the end of the Roman Empire, it was basically pot metal that they'd learn how to plate. So it has basically pot metal, which means like, uh, you know, a lead, zinc, uh, copper combo or something like that. I don't know exactly the, the, the metal makeup of it, but it was anything but precious metal. So you had this base metal coin that was coated or plated with a fine amount of silver. So you went from, and it was even bigger. So it looked silver-ish because it had a little bit, the, the plating or the coating wore off pretty easily. So you had a debasement of the currency throughout the entire lifetime of the Roman Empire. And there's a direct correlation between the debasement of the currency and the debasement of the moral structure of the society. And I'll just elaborate for another minute or two. So when you started, you had the republic that was represented by the people and you had a pretty let's say efficient and well-working truthful society of course people lie and cheat steal and all that but it was at a very low level at the end the senate no longer represented the people all they cared about was how much spoils they could grab at the top how much it could you know fit into their own pockets and at the end, the rush to become a Roman citizen was incredibly large because the greatest thing about becoming a Roman was that you got free bread and circuses. So you could come in, become a citizen, get that free bread and watch the games at the Colosseum. And that was the mark of the end. So we see a lot of parallels between the Roman Empire and the current 
uh, empire. The Four Horsemen film is basically the age of empire, and it talks about how it is collapsing before our eyes. It's a very good movie. Again, it's not because I'm in it. I'm only in it for a few minutes. But the overall movie is really a well-done documentary that really wakes up a lot of people. And for me, I'm a big kind of a movie buff anyway. It's one of the few uh, hobbies I have outside of, you know, working out and reading and a few other things. But nonetheless, it's a good way to get educated for me rather than read a book or whatever. You watch a movie and really absorb quite a bit about where we are in history. And this thing repeats. It's a cycle that goes around and around and around. Yeah, and I think that was the film where they discussed celebrity cooks as being a, a big signal to, you know, again, the downfall of the civilization. And you kind of <laughs> look around and you're like, oh, <laughs> all right, maybe we're uh, in the time of Rome once again. Uh, but yeah, you know, you bring up so many things and I have so many like personal questions as Basil did, you know, within the context of like, okay, once I get this silver just a funny side story there was a local fire here where i live on a hill a few weeks or a few months ago i guess it was last summer maybe and you know i had the cops come to the door knocking on the door telling me that i had to uh, evacuate and whatnot and uh you know what maybe this was before the baby was even born this is how time dilated i've become since uh, the birth of uh, my daughter but <laughs> It, regardless, uh, the first thing I grabbed was my safe with all my silver in it. And, uh, you know, my wife gave me a hard time about that because, you know, she's like, you didn't grab like other money or other important papers <laughs> our, or our wedding album. Yeah. What yeah, pictures or <laughs> you grabbed your silver, uh, you know, my, my coin collection. But at the same time, I'm thinking, okay, what's the idea here that, that because the, at the beginning of the conversation, you were discussing how, you know, mining and growing were the basic essentials of civilization. And just that, that concept is so true. And I think our generation, especially, and just in the last century, ever since the industrial revolution, we've lost the context of what it takes in terms of resources to build the infrastructure that we're, we're born into, or we've been born into this very, you know, highly, uh, highly imagined and, and built society, basically, uh, both physically and, you know, through the mind and everything. But share with the audience a little bit about your, your sort of spiritual views on this and how it ties into the financial world, because that's that's been the biggest uh, barrier for me to really look into money in terms of its kind of the nitty gritty and actually, you know, doing things with it personally with my own hands um, because conceptually, I've really, you know, studied it. And Basil's looked at it. We've all conceptually understood what it means—the financial system and the corruption, and all that. But in terms of actual action taking place, it's been you know, a little bit more of a challenge. So, uh, is, is there a spiritual angle to it that you see that can help us sort of uh, help us deal with that, you know, sort of day-to-day, -day hands-on activity? Yes, I think uh, I'll be happy to answer that question. First of all, I'll kind of start off with a joke, which uh, maybe will bring a little bit of levity to the topic, although it could be uh, quite a heavy topic. So remember, gold is God with an L in it. We've got G-O-D and we've got G-O-L-D. So that's my joke. But there's a reason. Good that joke. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So there is, um, there is the metals, you know, talked about in the Bible. But let's get to the the most basic and you know you're asking me so some of this is maybe opinion some of it is hard fact you can uh, separate the wheat from the chaff uh, dear listener 
So as far as I'm concerned, there is the truth, and that's an absolute. Now, there the New Agers are real happy to talk about my truth, and you know my truth might be that I don't exercise enough. You know, that's personal. But there are absolutes in the universe. So the absolute truth is that God doesn't really care. I won't say care. Let me phrase this right. The absolute truth is that we have to have honesty in all our affairs. Now, we're humans, so we fall short of that. But if you have a whole system based on a lie, then the system at the basis from you know that point is corrupt. And this is where we are in the monetary system. So if you go through monetary history, what you'll find is, and this is a very abbreviated, very shorthand version, not exact, but the idea is what I want to make perfectly clear. Gold standard, prosperity, Fiat money, collapse. Back to a gold standard, prosperity, get off the gold standard, have a financial collapse. And that goes back and forth through history. So, again, that's an abbreviated version. We're actually much better on a bimetallic standard, which means gold and silver, or really a trimetallic standard, which is gold, silver, and copper. But I don't have time to go into that. So, the point is that if the truth is that only the truth works— in fact, all that exists in the universe is truth or resistance to it. So the resistance from the bankers has been that we know more than you and that we're doing God's work. That's a direct quote from one of the main bankers. And what they're able to do is create something out of nothing, something that's very difficult for man to do. But you basically take a something, which is a piece of paper, you put some ink on it. Now, you've created something that people believe has value because we all agree Yet even more important than that today is a digital blip of memory on a computer that is perceived to be wealth. This is where the cryptos come in, but I won't address that directly. So now, where's the spiritual side? The spiritual side is that only the truth works and we're living a lie. And what is the lie? And the lie is that money is something that I create for nothing, and yet I give value to it. So my mission statement is to teach and empower people, and I mean all people, to understand the benefits of an honest monetary and financial system. So since we're living a lie and we pretend that we can print wealth or create wealth with a computer blip, or computer entry, we are seeing the excesses of that system, which does not work on a global basis. And that's what worries me the most, because it is global. Everything's tied to the dollar, more or less. And when the dollar dies, it's going to affect basically everybody on the planet, even the rich, because there will be instances where money won't solve a problem. Uh, money is basically a concept or contract that people use to expedite their skill set. You have the most productive society when everyone gets to go and do what they love, which very few people these days get to, but let's just say, let's go back a few hundred years where you had more options, let's say, <clears throat> where you know if you wanted to build make shoes, you made shoes, or build, or excuse me, make uh, suits or, or dresses or whatever. So you had your, you know, your shoemaker, your cobbler, your, uh, you know, restaurateur, you've got all this. These people basically were entrepreneurs that did what they were felt called to do. That hardly exists anymore, although it does exist to some, some uh, extent. So I'm a little off base here, but the point is you cannot live a life forever. We've been living this life for a long time. All fiat currencies fail. 
and this one is failing as we speak, and that is the spiritual side. Unless you're aligned with the truth, you are going to pay a very, very heavy price. And unfortunately, uh, this is exactly where we are on a global basis, and it is manifesting before our eyes, believe it or not. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You, you talk a lot about the, the fall of the dollar, the death of the dollar, the fall of the fiat uh, supremacy. And I, I think most people can agree on that concept. And I think, you know, history shows it, what we've seen in inflation shows it. And I think even just at the very core of all of our beings, we feel that, you know, it is kind of a silly system that we're sort of relying on. The one thing that I keep running into, though, is that you know, people have been preaching the death of the dollar since before I was even born. And um, while we do see sort of, you know, if we we're going to draw a metaphor, maybe the dollar is on life support, which I think actually might be a little bit more accurate than what I'm comfortable with. Um, but I mean, how long does this take? Why, uh, you know, uh, what has also been being preached since before I was born is that Jesus was coming back real soon. 1988, I think he was supposed to come back, and yet he <laughs> didn't. And here I am, coming in in 1989, baby. And, uh, and away, same thing. Giving away secrets. I've given away my age before. Yeah, that's true. Um, and, uh, and so, anyway, in the context of the dollar, death of the dollar, a lot of people been setting dates. A lot of people been uh, saying it's coming close. It's coming soon. It's coming soon. Uh, I'm not. I guess I'm not accusing you of being that uh, being sensational or anything. But what what exactly in in all reality do you think we're looking at as far as the timing? As it was in the days of Noah, Basil, they were eating and drinking. Sorry. Go ahead, David. Gons, that was a question for David, the professional. Oh, come on. Well, thank you, Gons. So th this is absolutely probably the best part of the interview so far because it's imperative that everybody understand this. Thank you. So I would, uh, for those that are, let's say, academically or um, let we say more curious-minded, uh, you can write this down. It's called the Exter Pyramid, and Exter is E-X-E-T-E-R, and I think you guys can spell pyramid or look it up. So if you look at that, so the reason the dollar is doing so well is, one, it's really a matter of faith. You know, we talked about the spiritual side. So what we have in the Exter Pyramid is a very accurate description of how the entire financial system works on a global basis. And it is an upside-down pyramid. So let me pause there for a moment. Uh, my first degree is, is in engineering. <clears throat> Not that that means anything, except it's a tough degree to get. But other than that, the most stable structure that exists to our knowledge up to now is a pyramid. So obviously, the reverse of that, or an upside-down pyramid, would be a very unstable structure, and it is. So if you look up the extra pyramid, and Google it, what you'll find is, again, the unbelievably instability that's built into the system. And I mean the financial system slash monetary system. So at the top of the pyramid, which now it's upside down, remember, is the base. And at the base is the most amount of what we consider to be assets. 
you know, something that's exchangeable for money. And all I'm just going to define money from hopefully here on out, not mess it up as, as physical gold, physical silver. So if I say the word currency, I'm referring to something that's either a digit that's in your checking account, on your iPhone, in your bank account, or even a folding piece of paper in your wallet. So at the top of the pyramid, remember the base, if it was right side up, is derivatives. These are unfunded liabilities, basically between nation states and banks that are mostly based upon interest rates. And this is what happened in the 2008 financial crisis, is we had a massive amount of derivatives that couldn't be made good upon, mostly bank to bank. And this started uh, a very big crisis, as we all know, and I don't think we've recovered since then. So the top of the pyramid, remember, we're upside down as derivatives. Under that, uh, let me, I'm not going to start over, but let me just explain that why the dollar is so strong. So in a liquidity squeeze, a fancy word, what's liquidity squeeze, David? Well, liquidity squeeze is basically going from what you might have as an asset, something that's worth something like a truck or a house or some lumber in your backyard, into what you trust the most. Remember, I'll repeat, trust the most. Mm. And for 99.9% .9 of the people, what they trust the most is that piece of paper that has a president's picture on it in the United States. <laughs> or if you're in Mexico, it's that piece of paper that has one of their politicians on it. Or if you're in Great Britain, it's one of those pieces of paper that has the Queen's picture on it. So this is what's trusted the most, not money, currency. So as a liquidity squeeze happens, which means something has happened in the financial system to, to disrupt the confidence of the people that something is wrong, they start to sell. So what they sell is almost anything and everything that has quote unquote value, which is derivatives. And then under derivatives comes non-monetary assets such as private businesses or real estate or that type of thing. And those are uh, very, very big situations that are not liquid. It's very difficult to sell a house overnight unless you discount it to such a ridiculous degree that it's absurd and you know, you're, all your neighbors going to buy it from you because you discounted it so far. So those are hard to get out of. After that, you have, you've, you've got corporate bonds and um, government bonds excuse me, corporate bonds, which are riskier than government bonds. So these are like your Shell Oil Company, your Amazons, your 3Ms, your uh, big box stores. I mean, any of these large corporate structures sell debt, which are called bonds. They're bought by investors, either professional or non, and they are considered to be secure because they are part owners of the company, really. And they get a dividend, which is called a yield, on those bonds and then under that and I'm, I'm working down the pyramid remember it's an upside down pyramid i'm getting from very trashy untrusted difficult to sell assets to more and more trusted more and more easily to liquidate assets that are more and more trusted so we go from the derivatives to the private equities or businesses and real estate down to the corporate bond. Now we get to government bonds and treasury bills. These are the most trusted in, in the debt markets. This is especially a U.S. bond. Trusted, trusted, trusted. Then after that, and those are easy to liquidate. I mean, a phone call or two and bang, you've sold it and you get, get what? And that's paper money. That's the dollar. So 
as there's fear in the marketplace, the one place everyone is going to run to is the dollar, which means the dollar is actually going to do quite well in a liquidity squeeze. When there's fear in the market and people don't trust what's going on and they've got their stocks, they're going to sell and go to dollars or the equivalent, depending on what nation state they're in. So they're going to go to currency. And that's they're going to move out of their, their bonds and go to currency. They're going to move out of their stocks and go to currency. They may try to liquidate some real estate and go to currency. They may try to liquidate some of their derivatives and go to currency. Everyone's going to move into currency. And so then what happens? Well, everyone starts to notice that they all have all this currency. And what is it really worth? And the answer is it's really not worth very much. And so that's when the shift goes, the shift of consciousness goes, so what is this stuff really worth? And the answer is next to nothing. And that would be where you would start to pour in the gold. Now, as you come down on this liquidity squeeze, there'll be a lot of people that will stop at that paper step and not move into, into a dollar, they'll move directly to gold. And that will cause the price of gold and the dollar to go up in value at the same time, believe it or not. So many people will say, well, geez, you know, I'm holding dollars and it's doing better than the yen and it's doing better than the Canadian dollar. And, you know, I'm pretty happy that I sold my stocks and the market's crashing further. And look at the bond market is crashing as well. And I've got dollars and look at how good they're doing. But measured against gold, they wouldn't be doing as well. So that's the liquidity squeeze. That's why the dollar is going to do quite well at first in what, we, what I would call a financial panic or a financial fear or something where there is a run to what you trust. And this has happened throughout history. It will happen again. And I didn't speak of, and I probably should have inserted, but I'm not sure where to insert the cryptocurrencies because in that rush to something that you trust, There'll be a band of cryptos that are trusted far more than others, and those will probably see a pretty big influx of, uh, you know, of uh, assets exchanged for, you know, from, let's say, the stock market into the cryptos or from some other asset class into them. So that's something I should probably put into this extra pyramid. Yeah, the future is here, man. We got to get this pyramid. By the way, for people I know, if you're not looking at the pyramid, uh, it, it may be more difficult to follow what David was talking about, but if you pull up the pyramid on Google, it all makes perfect sense. And David, you get, you did a great job of painting the pictures of the mind, but I recommend everybody uh, go check that out because it makes a lot of sense. And so this is an upside down pyramid, obviously unsettling. Uh, don't think, you know, like you said, very unstable. Now, is there, I mean, is, is this a, uh, it, an image to allude to the fact that we need to turn the pyramid back right side up or what's the end goal here? Well, let's just go back to honest money the way it used to be from, you know, biblical times. Okay. So one of the big buzzwords now is, you know, sustainability, you know, let's have a stable system. Well, first of all, people are productive and over time, they take uh, whatever has been invented or made, manufactured, and usually they improve upon it. So if you look at, you know, what the first iPhone looked like compared to what the iPhone looks like now, there's been several iterations and they've always gotten better, at least in most people's opinion. So same of almost anything you want to talk about, be it housing or automobiles or airplanes or clothing, yeah, not so much, but, you know, most... Uh, 
and most things you're getting you know a better product at a lower cost so in a perfect world which there isn't one we know but in a more stable monetary system where let's say gold silver and copper are the money what you have is a built-in growth rate a sustainable growth rate because the money supply which is let's call it gold for talking purposes and uh it grows at about <clears throat> one to two percent a year so what you have is a stable growth factor in the money supply as the economy expands and the birth rate increases that's sustainable and you also have a slight deflation throughout your lifetime which people hear the word deflation it scares them it's absolutely what we want because in a slight deflation it means that your money becomes more valuable through your lifetime so let's say at the beginning of your at your birth date that one ounce of gold would buy uh, a house or let's say let's say a house doesn't matter it's not the i'm not trying to give the idea of what it's worth i'm trying to just give the idea and and at the end of your life at let's say in that time frame 60 years later whatever that same ounce of gold will buy a house and a half that's that's a, a deflationary environment so your money actually becomes more valuable over time and the productivity of the people increases over time so you have a slight deflation where products improve and everybody's lifestyle gets better and better and better that's sustainability that's the natural system that's a system based on precious metals that grow at the rate that they come out of the ground now there are times in history where there's been a massive increase in the money supply meaning a lot more gold came out in a, in a two three four year time frame than had been normal and uh, not the average two percent maybe it got a five percent increase but that's ridiculously small compared to what we see in today's world with quantitative easing and all these games that the central bankers have played with us for the last several years. So that's the idea, that you have honesty in the system. Everybody knows what money is. You could go out and become a miner and you literally could dig money out of the ground, which isn't exactly an easy thing to do, but it can be done. So, <clears throat> so that's a system under that kind of a, really a gold coin standard. And uh, that's how it used to work. So that yeah, kind of makes sense in terms of why, you know, the the silver bug, so so to speak, you know, people that are really into silver and gold have that sort of mentality of, hey, let's 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 be honest with each other, you know, when it comes down to it, what really has value, and um, you know that that conversation taking place with yourself, even you know, uh, just in my mind, I've had that transformation of, and I've talked about this before where that, that experience of walking into a shop and handing a $20 bill, a piece of paper and receiving a silver coin and, you know, just a feeling of empowerment, just like, Whoa, uh, this is actually worth something in, 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 in real value. Whereas that last thing was just a piece of paper. It's a profound experience. I recommend, you know, people purposely have when, if they are, uh, if they're able, but in terms of the, the future of money and metals and stuff like that, People have uh, have been very uh, not depressed might be too strong of a word, but just real down on silver and gold and just uh, you know people are, are were expecting some kind of boom. Is that still going to happen for people that have been stacking and stuff for a long time? Is there going to be a, a a true golden age where stuff reverses and you know, this kind of the thing you you were talking about? Is that something that you think is going to happen within your lifetime, our lifetime? I do. 
But, you know, to be intellectually honest, I mean, there's no guarantee. I mean, it is possible that this will be the first time in recorded history or monetary history where fiat currency didn't fail, that everyone's got to be chipped and uh, take, uh, you know, something from the authorities or they can't do transactions <laughs> and, and that they bypass a run in gold or they outlaw it at the top of the market. It becomes so valuable and they say, well, that's okay. You either got to trade it for the cryptocurrencies or can't spend it. Of course, you know, that's, you know, I try to think through this stuff, Gons, and, uh, but if it goes the way I expect it to, then I think we will see a massive run to gold. Uh, that means a huge run to silver because as gold's going through 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 an ounce, pick your number, it's going to be outside the purview of the average person to be able to buy even one coin. But they might have, you know, 2,000 bucks that they could put into silver. That's what happened last time in the 1980 bull run when it really accelerated Silver outperformed gold by a factor of two or three because gold went from 300 to 850 or almost a triple, and silver went from uh, six bucks to 48 or eightfold. So I think that's what will happen. Now, what the authority figures do during that bull run, I don't know. And, you know, I don't really even know if it'll happen, but I really do believe that it will. And history teaches us that the biggest part of the move comes in the last percentage of the time. I mean, I've said it on other interviews, that probably like 90% of the move comes in the last 10% of the time. So if most of these monetary cycles go for 20, 25 years or whatever, and they're not always the same, we've already had like 17-year bull market in gold. It was 11 years straight up, more or less, every year over year for 11 years. It was a higher price at the end of the year than the beginning of the year. And then from 2011 to present time, it's been going down and sideways. So we've had a bear market within the major bull trend. Then uh, the last phase, this last leg up, usually goes really, really strong for a not a very long amount of time. So I think, Gons and Basel, that we'll see it go in the next three to five years where we'll get new highs in gold and new highs in silver. But, you know, for your audience especially, we want to look at what the potentials are with what the cryptos um, provide, either good or bad. I'm pretty neutral on them. I think there's a lot more that can be established through the authorities with a cryptocurrency more than a piece of paper. I mean, if you take that $20 bill, you know, that's a silent transaction that really isn't traced. But, but if you have that's either in a digital wallet or something that you scan from your from your hand uh, that is going to be you know looked after by you know big brother the entire time and this is of course the direction everything's being pushed it's all being pushed into a cashless society that can be monitored by somebody outside of your own being that has your best interest at heart ha ha to look after everything that takes place and as we all know from even a cursory study of uh, eschatology, there's a day where you cannot buy without taking that mark. So right. are we going that direction? It certainly looks like it to me. Yeah, and it, it makes sense if you, uh, you know, Ezekiel 719, I know people in the audience definitely uh, thought of that when you were talking there about they'll cast their silver into the streets and gold is like an unclean thing. They'll, their silver and gold are not able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord and um, they can't satisfy their hunger. There's a level of uh, discouragement 
too with money with, with for me i've always kind of realized like no matter what form of money that you have or you carry it's kind of all just still a tool it, you know it's not it's not really a saving grace for anything you know because because i'm thinking like you know i can have the, a ton of silver in a in a room somewhere or buried as basil would have it in, in some kind of um I know I'm picturing some some old coffee chest. cans or something. No, it's like a pirate chest. Okay, yeah, <clears throat> with the yeah. with the key and everything. Mm -hmm. Giant lock. The key and like a little skull and yeah. crossbones on the front. <laughs> um, and you know, so you know, everything happens. The 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 proverbial apocalypse, the revealing the the monetary system, the fiat currency goes down, and uh, you know now now people that have gold and silver, you know they're quote unquote rich or at least you know the the buying power purchasing power of the 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 the, the materials goes up for example like in other countries we've seen how you know an ounce of silver an ounce of gold can purchase you know homes and things like that in in a time of crisis or a time when cash uh, becomes obsolete and so i mean it's one of those issues where even in that time I feel like, okay, great. I'll have this giant treasure chest of silver, but like, what are we going to, I can picture Basil getting really, you know, intense about it and like hiring guards and stuff. Like here's a silver coin to, you know, help me guard my stash and, and forming, forming an army and stuff like that. But other than that, I mean, what, is it useful in terms of like just being able to buy stuff? Are people really going to be like, yes, give me the, you know, this giant bag of heavy silver that I have to carry around in exchange for, you know, food or water or whatever it is? Well, that's a great question, and I've pondered it a great deal. So, first of all, the little savings program that I talked about at the beginning of your interview, uh, where you can, you know, set up a, a monthly purchase program through your checking account. By the way, it's only available for uh, U.S. and Canadians. I should have mentioned that. So, you know, throwing the gold and silver in the street, I mean, I've asked some of the people that are, much more Bible versed than I am, meaning they've, you know, much more students of the Bible. And in most cases, but it fits my parameters, so I guess I'm somewhat biased, I'll admit that, that what that proves is that it's used up until it's not used anymore, which means that rather than say, oh, we're going to throw it in the streets, I shouldn't save in it, you probably should save in it until nothing else will save you. Either you're saved or you're not. I mean, that's basically the feedback I've gotten from many. And one is a very well-known uh, radio commentator that's been on, uh, you know, coast to coast several times and some of the more, uh, let's say, uh, faith-based um, interviews. And he went over that with me as well as these people that started this program uh, as far as saving in gold and silver. So I think... Personally, of course, again, I'm somewhat biased that, you know, having the real metal is very important for a period of time. So in this transition, before nothing's going to save you, the only thing that's going to save you at the end, and of course, this is based on belief, can't be proven, is going to be your own personal relationship. It's not going to be how much money. Money won't save you. There isn't a time when money does always save you. I mean, my whole thrust when I was a young kid, that 11-year-old saw the coinage change. As I got older, money didn't represent so much as, oh, money, you know, the love of money. I never really had the love of money. I had the love of freedom. So for me, the idea was if I had enough of the stuff, then I had more choices in life. I could mm -hmm. take more vacations. I could maybe have a different car because when I was younger, that was important to me. It wasn't isn't now, but 
the time it was, but I had more choices. I had more freedom. So money represented freedom to me. But, you know, something as simple as watching, you know, reading the book or watching the movie The Titanic, I mean, they had multimillionaires in there. The movie, you know, depicts it really well. I mean, this guy's got a, you know, Basel's trunk, and it was a paper notes, not silver. And he said, look, I'll give you this trunk of cash to give me your you know, position on the lifeboat. No, thank you, sir. I'm sitting right here. Keep your mm-hmm. cash, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, there's instances throughout history where money won't save you. And, you know, depending on what your core beliefs are, then, of course, there's a higher purpose to this whole thing anyway. But I just don't want to discourage people that are our listening audience to not think that gold and silver have value if they do up until the end. And at that point, it comes basically between you and, uh, let's say, the higher power. Because, you know, there's many people out there today that are living their lives as if God doesn't exist. And my add-on to that is they better be right. Because if they aren't, there's a day. <laughs> and when that day comes... They're going to find out. So, you know, that's, that's my personal take on it. Right. So it's good perspective. You know, the, the, the overview, the sort of the eternal view, but also the, the, you know, the view of occupation of what yeah. we ought to be doing uh, in front of us. So it's very, and, good. you know, it's interesting because uh, Gons and I just had a conversation uh, on our bonus podcast over on the Patreon, patreon.com slash CC. Nope. Canary cry radio. And uh, we, we had a conversation about, you know, billionaires and what would I do if I was a billionaire? And I, I expressed to Gans my adoration for sort of the biblical description of wealth, which is basically <laughs> you got a bunch of sheep and you got a bunch of goats. And yeah, you got gold and silver too, but you know, you're the guy who had the most sheep is the one who uh, had the most wealth. And I thought it was a, just a really clever plan for god to have built in there where if you got two sheep your money keeps on growing you just get more and more sheep and so you know i haven't yet invested in sheep but um (laughs) the concept of you know not relying necessarily in a piece of paper and the authority given to that piece of paper by a governing body but uh, a real physical asset that grows in value over time. I mean, that's really kind of the the biblical structure of a wealthy person is uh, having something, whether it be a, a cute little sheep or, uh, you know, gold in your uh, treasure chest buried in the backyard, um, which, you know, is kind of the modern equivalent of a piece of wealth that continues to grow, compound on itself, uh, in in sort of a steady, natural way, instead of you know a lot of the fancy financial products that you can get into bonds and stocks and things like that, which to a degree are at the whim of those who are uh, engineering our financial system. Yeah, well said. I'd like to point out for. Uh the listeners, that there's a movie called I Am. Mm -hmm. It's a 2010 documentary. And I think it's well worth watching this guy, Tom, and I can't pronounce his last name. That's the guy who, he's the guy who made and directed Dumb and Dumber or something? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. He had it all. He had, you know, his fifth mansion and his private Learjet and everything else, and he was unhappy. 
and he went and examined his life. And in that documentary that came out in 2010, there's a portion in there that always struck me that in like in the 30s or so, people that had extreme wealth, the average, the, the let's say the uh, society at large viewed that as kind of a mental illness. Mm. That if you had something to such excess, something was really wrong with you. Yeah. Course, today, we don't really take that view. I'm speaking, uh, you know, I can only speak for myself, really. But the way I see society, it's like, you know, greed is good and all this stuff. And, of course, it's not. Nature preaches balance. I mean, you know, look at uh, a flock. I mean, you can only have so many sheep where, you know, it gets to the point where it becomes very cumbersome because you cannot move them around the land long enough or far enough for every, all of them to get fed. In other words, there's a limit to it. There's always a limit, and yet in the monetary realm, there isn't, and that's why you have failure of the monetary system, because in the fiat system, which has kind of been the basis of our entire discussion, is you can create infinite amount of money, which you can't, you know, money in quotation marks, currency, I should say, yeah. infinite amount of currency, and yet what you can't really do is, is state how much it's going to be valued, you know, what is its purchasing power going to be? And again, going back to earlier in the discussion, it's only worth about 3% of what it was worth 100 years ago. So now we're worried about that last three cents and what's going to happen to it. And at the same time, we're getting an acceleration in all these things, you know, this push toward the cash of society, uh, this, you know, this whole, let's say, um, what I want to say, emphasis on uh, blurring the lines between uh, right and wrong, the moral structure being decayed, as I said earlier, the destruction on sexuality, the destruction on, you know, not what's right and wrong, you know, calling, you know, good, bad, and bad, good, and all these things that have been forecast for so long are right in front of our face. Yet very few people really bring it to the fore. And, you know, that's where, uh, you know, Gons, I mean, I've listened to several issues of Face Like the Sun and, and uh, Basil, I've listened to some of your shows, you know, from the Canary, I forget the exact name, Canary Radio, whatever, a few times. But you guys are putting stuff out there that people really need to take in deeply and need to think about and ponder because, you know, the old adage is, what is the meaning of life? And I come up with an answer that, you know, is is based, I think, that would be more secular than religious, but it's what's what meaning do you give it? I mean, if the meaning of your life is video games and, uh, you know, hot dogs, then that's kind of what is valuable <laughs> to you. Whereas if you think you have a higher calling, a higher purpose or something that you want to leave, and all I want to leave is the place better than I found it and tell the truth as often as possible and wake up people because, um you know, my belief is like that bumper sticker I was talking about. If you're living your life like there isn't a God, well, you better be right. You know, yeah. it's pretty simple to me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's really interesting. You you, you bring to mind uh, some thoughts in terms of the, the whole cryptocurrency conversation, because some of the ideas that are promoted and, and the positive nature of Bitcoin and all these things is the the idea of scarcity, which means there's a limit, right? And all these things. And in the mathematical sense, it's true, but but it is still, in a way, it's still illusory in that it it's uh, it's it's not necessarily tangible. It's more of um, you know, it's all virtual. It's accessing uh, virtual numbers. So it's weird. It really has kind of debased 
uh, physical reality in a, in a strange way uh, where, you know, the idea of scarcity in the digital realm, you know, gives it the illusion of value in a way that the fiat system hasn't been able to do. And, and for better or worse, uh, you know, I think, again, like you said, some positive, some negative, and but then the flipping of you know eventually uh, an overskewing of those things and and finding um, you know a complete imbalance and things. But we're wrapping up the conversation here, and we ask as many of our guests as possible, even though it's completely out of left field for this particular converse, conversation, or or perhaps not, maybe not. Um, we discuss this idea of the Nephilim from Genesis six, and uh, <laughs> it's it's you know it's a wild topic for many people. Um, but uh, I do want to give you an opportunity to, uh, uh, express anything that you, uh, any thoughts you have about it, or if you've even investigated the issue. Um, yeah. Any, any, any ideas or thoughts on the Nephilim? Oh boy. Well, this could go another hour and it won't because, <laughs> uh, well, you know, I alluded earlier to, you know, someone that I know and asked about the throwing the gold and silver in the street. So Steve Quayle is, uh, a state or two over. Uh, mm-hmm. I know Steve and I've known Steve for years. And so, you know, I read his books on giants, you know, years and years and years ago, I've, you know, sat in his office with him and done interviews with him. And in fact, he used to ask me on for his inner circle to uh, give some forecasts on the metals. That was years ago. We did it for a few months and it got to be kind of cumbersome. We stopped doing it. But so now I'm very, very familiar with that and L.A. Marzulli's work and some of the others. But, you know, I think I tip my hat to Steve before anyone else because he's the first to bring it to my attention. So as far as I'm concerned, it's an absolute. I think the Smithsonian, more than anyone else, has probably covered it up. But, uh, you know, the old adage that uh, truth is stranger than fiction, I adhere to that. I think there's a lot more to uh, what's gone on. I'm not a huge biblical student, I, but I'm far from ignorant. I think there's a very interesting reasons why, like, the Book of Enoch is missing from the canon. But, uh, you know, again, I'm not a scholar, but it's certainly a good study. So, no, I am definitely in the camp that there were Nephilim on the planet Earth. And, you know, arguing whether or not they came from here or there, I wouldn't say it's not important to me personally, but I'm more, let's say, scientific in that aspect, meaning, look, we've got physical proof of it. So whether or not they are uh, from another realm or not, I don't need to get into that discussion because I've got proof that they existed. Look at the bones. There you go. Mm. Boom. I was not expecting that answer. So... (laughs) Very well done. Um, well, David, thank you so much, my friend. David Morgan, everybody. Um, the silver guru. That's right. I'm gonna go check it out. I'm on the I'm on the newsletter. You can go do that too. David, can you give us some links or some places that we can find your work and uh, connect with you, that sort of thing? Yeah, I'll thank you for that. I mean, the main website is themorganreport.com. But uh, if you type in David Morgan Silver into Google, uh, you'll find, like, my Twitter page. You'll find my uh, YouTube channel, um, probably my LinkedIn and everything else. So there's lots of ways to connect with me. Uh, and, you know, and, and that's that. I mean, it's pretty easy to, uh, to find um, I'm just looking here. I just did it to see what comes up here. So the YouTube channel, the Morgan Report YouTube, 
the blog. The blog is something, too. I usually blog at least once a week. I do a weekly perspective that I try to keep from uh, 15 minutes or less. Try to keep it around 10 minutes. And I just basically go over the economy. I try to stay out of the political side as much as possible. And then uh, I wrap it up with some comment about the gold or silver market. So it's kind of an in-your-face, no ads, just vital information to people that want to know where we stand in like uh, the financial system bond market or you know china's you know this or the trade wars or whatever review that quickly end with gold and silver and make it available for people that kind of want to just get a synopsis of important facts of the week so that's beautiful beautiful yep go check it out everybody guns any last words no, just appreciate you coming on and looking forward to having you in Age of Deceit 3. So thank you for sitting down with me. And that's it, I think. Very good. Well, thank you for having me. That's right. And if anybody out there knows a good artisan uh, pirate ship uh, <laughs> treasure chest maker, go ahead and give them my email. I've uh, got some very important things to talk to them about. <laughs> Well, there you have it, folks. David Morgan, the silver guru. I really enjoyed where that conversation went, Gons, and I feel inspired. Yeah, and I, I really uh, hope he comes back soon. I think we can have you know deeper discussions. I want to pick his brain more about some of the, the knowledge and the history of the markets and how they were manipulated and things like that. Uh, but this conversation definitely uh, got into some, some stuff that uh, I think goes a little deeper when it comes to finances and money and precious metals and everything else. So, and I'm looking, really good. I'm looking forward to his, uh, appearance in age of deceit three guns. I have people yeah. bugging me online all the time. When's guns going to put out age of deceit three. I think there's a campaign starting for me to make a cameo. So just keep that in mind. Ooh, yeah, that is, uh, that's going to require, uh, a lot of effort. Yeah, you know, it'd be fun <laughs> is if we set up, like one of those uh, things, like dark face yep, rooms, true cr yep. true crime type of crime. thing, you know, where it's bright background and shadowy figure, and you hide my voice. Although, <laughs> although there's no point in doing that, people won't even know what's going on if you hide my voice. But yeah, I'll just make you say just outlandish things. Yeah, just give me just just the most ridiculous just things. Chill me out, bro. Tell me what to say. I'm there. I'm there. <laughs> I'll use my. My my enormous <laughs> amount of clout and respect that I have on the internet. <laughs> uh, I, I wonder I wonder what that would do. Because so far I have David Morgan, I have Doctor Michael Heiser, I have Leonard Ulrich, and um, you got you just got to get me in there saying something. People will watch the show just for the opportunity to hear me say something. Yeah, you know what? I will do that. Let's let's uh, let's plan something. Let's let's plan a little sit down, and I can. I can snip you up yeah. and, and, uh, and, and have you be, uh, or, or, you know what I can do? And, and this is just thinking out loud now, mm -hmm. just to be transparent, mm -hmm. I can definitely, uh, take some clips of the past of you saying some things that are zingers, yeah. you know, that, that, that the audience has found to be, you know, good comments and ISOs and things like that and add them into the film. Yes, for sure. We can do all um, sorts of stuff. I think you should put me in the true crime, uh, you know, silhouette, dark face, bright background, just eating tacos. <laughs> Just eating tacos while somebody else voiceovers over me. <laughs> 
Or just like, oh, just just make a mockery of the of the film. Just real serious, <laughs> real just hard hitting info. Well, and then here's you eating a taco <laughs> and a voiceover character speaking for you. Oh, it's ridiculous. I know. That's just, uh, well, it'll continue uh, my apparent sabotage of your career. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as as you, uh, my Illuminati handler. Yeah, your CIA just, handler. Just throwing in throwing yourself into the mix to to just just. <laughs> Have that that you know. Have your paycheck. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Got to got to collect those royalties, babies. Those YouTube appearance royalties. Um, uh, you're you're gonna be the one that's gonna put a copyright claim on the entire film. You're like, I appear. I in never this signed 30 any thirty second section. I never signed any and, papers. Uh, yeah, I, I never, expect to g- gain the revenue from the ads my, of the entirety of the documentary. My lawyer has advised me to. Uh, rescind my uh anyways uh okay yes moving on joke watch dead. watch out for uh basil <laughs> c3 um okay anything else the facebook group canary cry community again it's just a great place even if you are just passively looking for a place to check in on people just like you who listen to the show uh they're all over the world there's constantly people connecting with people near them who listen to the show. I'm, 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 yes. I think there's going to be a threshold of users who show up at the Canary Cry community. And uh, I think there's going to start being some meetups soon. I think yes. I, and- I heard somebody recently asked me for permission to put on a Texas meetup, a Canary Cry meetup. That's right. So if you're in Texas, get in the group Ooh. and uh, start chatting about that. It's all about community here at the Canary Cry Radio Headquarters, which is <laughs> HQ. Two it's a new thing. We have HQ and HQ2, like Amazon. Although uh, yeah, we're gonna s- start bidding cities. We're gonna figure out which city <laughs> is best suited for Canary Cry HQ. That's where will right. Live in a, a, a hermetically sealed bubble yep. underwater. It's gonna be fun. Um, did we mention uh, Canary Cry conversations here at the outro? Yeah, probably. I don't know. I don't know if we did. So also um, over at the Patreon, we're super excited. We've got we're over halfway to our first goal on the Patreon. That's right. I think as of today, well, I could pull it up, but I'm too lazy. We got over 60 patrons who are now receiving uh, bonus rewards over at the Patreon. One of them is Canary Cry Conversations, which I am personally so excited about. If you want a real and raw experience of Gons and I just talking to each other about uh, different things. I mean, it's it's much less uh, organized than this show, if you can believe it. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's another great way to stay connected to Gons and I and what we're thinking and what we've got going on. And, uh, you know, it always starts out kind of light and then we get into it. I think this last one we talked about, I give, I give away my, uh, oh, like I mentioned in, in this episode, yeah, I talk about, uh, what I would do if I had a billion dollars and yeah, triple B brand, Basil Biblical Billionaire. <laughs> yeah. Basil Biblical Billionaire. That's right. That's my, uh, my new triple finance B. talk show, um, <laughs> that you should not take any advice from. <laughs> It's just people They're talking like, wait, about. Is this guy a billionaire? Or <laughs> wait, is this just where I go and pretend that I'm a billionaire? And <laughs> that's actually not a bad idea. Oh, but that's yeah, just that's actually kind of make fun. it a satire, and and people won't know if it's true or not. You just know, have we'll different guests, are... and all we do is talk about what we would do if we had a billion dollars. 
That's actually, wow. I, I got to think about that because that could really go some places. Um, anyways. Now that you broadcasted that to everybody. It's already taken. Basil's billionaire bunker. <gasps> there it is. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, so anyways, there you go. Patreon.com slash Cry radio. Um, I think what that about TJT, you got, you got oh, TJT, some real things instead oh, of fake things that don't exist. Why don't you, why that's, don't you pump some real stuff? That's that right. Doing? I do have extant projects that already exist <laughs> and are rocking and rolling. Um, the joy spiracy theory. If you guys have not tuned in, you know, this is one thing I hear two things a lot. I hear one thing, which is I love Canary Cry Radio. I love Canary Cry News Talk. Haven't checked out TJT yet, but, uh, you know, just haven't really felt like it. Don't have the time, blah, blah, blah. And then, and then I hear on the TJT side, oh my gosh, I, I heard that you're doing this project. I, you know, just kind of let it go. I didn't really think about it. I have enough joy in my life. Didn't really, uh, you know, need it. And, but then I checked it out on a whim and oh my gosh, it's my favorite show, stuff like that, which is great. Um, so if you haven't checked out the Joy Spiracy Theory, we're rocking and rolling. Episodes coming out. We got bonus episodes coming out. It's a good time. And um, you may be sitting there thinking, yes, well, I do not need that. I'm too busy in my intellectual endeavors. Um, but uh, actually the TJT uh uh, people given their testimonies, life stories. Uh, if you really want a place to be encouraged and want a place to um, empathize and connect with people just like you, uh, the Joy Spiracy Theory is the place to go. It'll give you a good time. It'll make your day a little bit better. So go check that out, the Joy Spiracy Theory on iTunes and I believe on all the other things. Um, yeah. And there's a Patreon for that too, where there's bonus episodes, but you know, I'll, I'll probably try to sell you that <laughs> enough if you start listening to the Joy Spiracy Theory, but there you go. Thank you for that opportunity, Gons. And yeah. uh, obviously, obviously everybody needs to go to YouTube and follow Face Like the Sun, your number one source for um, faces that are like the sun. <laughs> oh, gosh. No, Gons's uh, work there, uh, obviously where Age of Deceit, the hit um, honestly world changing. I mean, millions and millions of views. And I have yet to talk to a person who didn't say that age of deceit was a, a main aspect of their waking up and moving in to this next level of their understanding of the world. And, uh, Gans, you continue to, you continue that trend with every video that comes out. Well, I appreciate that. You bet. Okay. That's a, that's a blessing. Uh, I want to give a quick shout out to, uh, just because randomly I have the iTunes open and I was looking at the, the ratings and reviews, the heading of the review and the name of the reviewer caught my attention. And I just want to give them a shout out. Do it. Gingers against the Nephilim. <laughs> awesome. Awesome name. And their head, their, their title was best fringy Jesus podcast in the entire universe. <laughs> that thank you that is awesome that is awesome wow i gotta go through those and read those that's right and if you want to leave an awesome review like that you need to go to itunes leave a rating and a review um first of all because it's it really gons and i do read through those all the time and we love them and it warms our hearts and gives us um uh, motivation to continue the project uh, but also it lets other people know 
how awesome the show is and uh, gets them involved, but also tells the iTunes algorithmic uh, destiny robots. It, it helps spread the show. It puts us on lists. It recommends us to other listeners. And, um, you know, a lot of people uh, 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 very graciously send us emails and say, hey, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't uh, donate. It's just not in the budget right now. We say that totally fine. Don't feel pressured to do that. But one way you can help us more than you know, I just, I, I don't have the words to express how much it helps when you go to iTunes, leave a rating and a review. Um, I, it's kind of hard to understand, but it truly is like one of the most important aspects of the growth of the show. So please, if you have not left a rating and a review, go to iTunes or whatever podcast, podcast catcher you are using and leave a rating and a review. It goes a very long way to helping out the show. And um, so as a personal ask, I would appreciate it if every single person, I mean, oh my gosh, if every single person listening to this left the rating and review, we would be number one, not just on the Christian charts, <laughs> on the entire iTunes history what? of the world. Oh, no, come on. <laughs> if every person who has not let, we have, uh, last I checked, yeah. we had 599 reviews. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's actually a very good number. We have 603. 600. Now. Oh, there's more I need to read. Um, but if every listener of the show left a rating and a review right after this episode, thousands and thousands and thousands, <laughs> tens of thousands of reviews popped up in like a week, we would be number, we would, it would send oh, us yeah. to the number, it would put us on the front page of iTunes. We would dethrone Joel Olstein. We would. My, my long dream would come true, Basil. Be you know, like, yes. I make a lot of jokes. Olstein. <laughs> I make a lot of jokes, and I'm very silly on the show. But yes, if every person who's listening to this right now left the rating and review, <laughs> we would dethrone Joel Olstein. That's right. <laughs> Throwing down the gauntlet, baby. We're starting the campaign. You're going uh, down, Olstein. <laughs> We're coming for you. <laughs> I'm ISOing that. <laughs> it's just a personal mission for the show. <laughs> just, just randomly, we just we had this thing about dethroning Olstein just because you know. I mean, he's he's he's. I mean, whatever. He's got he nice. Tries. He's got nice teeth. Yeah, especially after when he's photo. And if I had those chompers, <laughs> I could take over the world. Um, oh boy. <laughs> okay, that's it. Well, this is the longest outro in the history of the universe. So thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of Canary Cry Radio. We hope you enjoyed it. And uh, make sure to tune in next time. But until then, oh, if you don't have people who listen to the show, you got friends. They're not quite awake or they're kind of stuck in their, uh, their, their little world. You gotta go wake them up. You gotta go rattle their cages, baby. I wanna shake things up, stir up some controversy, rattle a few cages. Hey, stop that! Don't ever silence me. I'm the last angry man, a crusader for the little guy. Leave the bird alone. Never rattle a few cages. Rattle a few cages. That's right, everybody. Amen. Go out, rattle some cages, share the show with some people who you think need it the most. And uh, that's really, uh, again, other than the whole iTunes rant I went on, peer-to-peer -peer 
that is the way that this show spreads the most and uh you know that that's what we're here for we're here to help out maybe people who don't even need know that they need to be helped out so go ahead and do that we will be very grateful and you will make a new friend i guarantee it so (laughs) that's a strong guarantee but uh here i am and but make sure to tune in next time with your best friend to canary cry radio until then think outside the cage Down, Olstein.